We've been in Hebrews chapter 11. Last week, we looked at, uh, really, we looked at the first seven verses, but to sum up, uh, one of the most famous verses in all of God's word is Hebrews 11.1, 1, where the writer gives a definition, a working definition of faith. He, it says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We looked at that in depth last week. I'm not going to cover it again so much, but I do want to just, because it, it it anchors the message this morning, because, uh, you know, context is everything when you're studying God's Word. It, uh, we looked at the word substance there, and the word hypostasis, which means to stand under, to support, and that if faith is the substance of things hoped for, that that. It's the, it's the support of our hope, that our hope is anchored in the substance of our faith. And the object, remember we looked at, faith has to have an object. I can have faith in the man in the moon, and it's not going to do anything for me other than lead to some wacky conclusions. But that Jesus is the object of our faith, and, and, and so, Faith has to have a foundation. That's the point. And that's, that Greek word really shows us that there is a, there's a foundation to that. Uh, it's not blind faith. We talk about that. It's not faith in faith. Very often, especially with people who are deists, and we'll talk about them as we go this morning, uh, people will say, well, I have my faith. And my response to that essentially is, well, big deal. Uh, <laughs> I'm not trying to be mean about it, but, but your faith Unless the object of your faith is Jesus, it's your faith. You have faith in faith, and that's not going to cut it in God's economy. Uh, it's not a feeling. It's it's not an emotion. It's, faith is not rooted in our emotions, although often because I have faith in the work that God's doing, I'll have an uh, emotional response to that, but it's not rooted in our emotions. It's it's that Jesus is the object, the foundation of our faith. And, and in, there in verse 1, he says, it's the evidence or the conviction of things not seen, that I am convinced of that which I cannot see because my faith is rooted in the person and the work of Jesus, the Son of God. That it's all important that we understand very simple, but profoundly simple, folks, that it's not, faith is, is not some ethereal thing, but it's central to our, to our faith, to our belief. You can have, I was, I, I'll share a story with you. I, I was having breakfast with Dan this week, uh, and, and we were talking about faith, and, and he, he used an example, and I said, that's, that's really good. I'm gonna steal that, Dan. And, and so, uh, I, proper credit due. Uh, but he said, it's, what we were talking about was that faith has to have, it, what it does, it produces action. Uh, and it, the, the story that, that he laid out and that, that I, I just so enjoyed and connected with is, let's say that in the kitchen, now I walked into the kitchen before the, the service, and, and folks, if you're not planning to stay for the potluck, You've got a real problem. <laughs> I mean, there is so much food and good food. I mean, Kurt was showing me they've got it like stacked sideways up in the, the the rack where we put the coffee pots. I mean, there's just stuff coming out of our ears. But let's say that on the counter in the kitchen, I had put down a bar of gold. All right? So, now, you guys know that if you know me, <laughs> what a tight what I am, you know I'm not going to do that. But but go with me on this. 
let's say that I put a bar of gold on the counter in the kitchen. You can believe that. And you can say, well, you know, John, I believe you. And what would that do? If you truly believe me, and it's just you and me talking, not me talking to a room full of people, and there's going to be a stampede now to the kitchen, but if it's just you and me, then it's going to produce action. If I say, look, I put a bar of gold on the counter in the kitchen, you're going to go and lay your hands on that. That's acting in faith. You believe me. It's not enough for you to say, well, I believe in you, John, uh, and then go about your way. No, true faith always produces action. That's why James says, show me your faith, I'll show you my works, because it always produces action. You will always act on what you believe. That's a universal principle. You will not get away from it. You will structure your life around what you believe. And in the case of Jesus, who is our life, you'll structure your life around him, Or if you truly are just in a place of saying, well, I kind of believe in Jesus, but I really don't believe him. I don't trust him. Then that's going to affect the way that you behave about him. Does that make sense? So as we go through here, we saw that it, it, now understand something too, that in when it comes to God, now you can, I can give you an example and tell you, yeah, well, I'm really not telling you the truth about that. I'm just using it as an example, but understand that in God's, economy in in his kingdom it is impossible we looked in hebrews chapter 6 it is impossible it is not possible for god to lie and with that being the case if god cannot lie if he lied he would not be god he can't lie because he would stop being god if he did and he's not going to do that so if you understand if god can't lie and his word comes to us effectively immutable, if, if, if he can't change, if he's not going to, then what kind of credibility can we put in the things that he says? It's everything. And so true faith is rooted in the word of God. It's rooted in the person and the work of Jesus. That's the point. We're going to be looking this morning. We Last week we looked at what the writer does here, the way he breaks down chapter 11 in Hebrews here is, is, is he, he talks about what faith is, and then he goes into a series. He goes all the way back to creation. Remember, we looked at that. We looked at Cain and Abel and about Abel's sacrifice being better than Cain's and, and you know, Cain's response to all of that. And then we looked at Enoch, this guy that kind of is mysterious in the Old Testament, and then we're told about him in Jude, about uh, him being translated into heaven. And then we looked at, at we looked at Noah and, and looked at what was going on with him and all of these guys walking out the faith that they had. The faith that they had produced action. And, and, and that's what the writer is doing here. Remember, in context, Hebrews is written to a group of people who are troubled. They are suffering. They are going through all kinds of circumstances that were were causing them to loosen their moorings in Christ. They were it was they were causing them to think about going back to the old way, going back to Judaism, going back to this whole deal that we've talked about so many times in this study in, in this book. But 
Here, now, what the writer's going to do is he's going to continue talking and reaching back to the Old Testament. We're going to look spend some time in the Old Testament this morning. He's going to reach back, and he's going to talk about the patriarchs. We call them the patriarchs. Now, the patriarchs were Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, the father of the nation, we'll talk about him. His son, Isaac, followed after him 25 years later, and then his son, Jacob. Now, Jacob would have 12 sons, and after 400 years in Egypt, they would come out of Egypt and become the nation of Israel. So he's going all the way back to the beginning, before Israel was a nation, before the law of Moses had been given, and he's going to go back and he's going to appeal to these guys and talk about the faith that they had that produced the actions that they took. All right? As we talk about these guys, I came across a quote from C.S. Lewis uh, from his book, Mere Christianity. He says, I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Uh, Folks, the reality that we must embrace is that like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as Christians, we're living in a land of promise as in a foreign land. Uh, And like those patriarchs, But in a new covenant sense, most of us, probably all of us, will die in faith, not having received the things promised. We'll have no regrets because what we're really looking for is not here. It's there. And if you're a Christian, you hunger, you long for that time when you shed this life, when you when you cast off this body and you're in the very presence of the Lord. And that's that's our hope. See, that's what our faith is anchored in, our hope. And it's the foundation of our hope. And our hope is that we will be there. We will we long for a city, as we're going to be looking at here this morning, that, that is whose foundations, the city was whose builder and maker was God. And so as we look at the story about Abraham, we'll get into and talk about the way that the interaction that he has and what the writer's doing to apply this to the people in the first century and he's going to apply it to us as well because by way of application these people are going through all kinds of stuff now i want to make a statement here and i want you to understand there as far as the bible goes as far as what the new testament witness is there are essentially two kinds of people. There are those who believe God, and there, there are those who do not believe God. Now, note, I'm not saying believe in God, but believing God. The Bible tells us that Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. The point is that the statement, if I say believe, I believe in God, it removes the person of God from it. It's generic. Uh, but again, uh, having a bar of gold on the counter in the kitchen, it, it, you can't, it's not going to be enough to say, well, I just, I believe in God. It's I believe him and therefore I'm going to go out, I'm going to reach for, I'm going to grab and lay hold of that which he's put before me. That's what faith does. That's what's going to happen with these people. In reality, these are people uh, that, that believe that God is, and he is the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. We looked at that last week. Those who believe God essentially will live forever. Those who do not believe God will die in their sins. 
Often we've seen in the book of Hebrews that the writer uses very strong language. He's basically saying, make up your mind. You can't have it both ways. You can't have, you can't be married to this world, living for this world, living your life as though it's the only world that will ever exist, and be a child of God at the same time. Those two will compete for one another. I'm not saying that we don't enjoy the life that God's given us, but what I'm saying is that you will act on what you believe, and if you're not acting in faith, it, your faith is either going to be in the things of this world, in the 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 I could, my buddy calls it the junk painted gold, or it's going to be believing in the things of the kingdom of God, one or the other. So understand that Hebrews it's not just a theological book that's written uh, about faith it, that it's it's. In context, it's dealing with difficulty and fear and doubt in the lives of these people. And we go through those things too, don't we? That's what he's addressing. That's why he's bringing this out at this point. So, And it's why Hebrews is so important to us, folks. This is a really, really vital book for us to have a good grasp of what's being said. Because when our lives get pressed in, guess what? God has answers. He addresses the things that we go through. So the point in all of that is that faith has always been the way into God's heart. It's always been on the basis of faith. It's part of why the writer's reaching all the way back to creation. Now he's going to talk about the patriarchs. And essentially saying, Lord, I don't see you, but I choose to trust you. That's what faith is. Now, in the first century context, these people had not seen Jesus come back, and, and therefore they were they were wavering. They're saying, I, "I had Jesus." They expected him to return. This is only thirty years after the cross, and they had already expected that Christ would return. Here we are, two thousand years out, waiting for the same, and yet these people were struggling because he hadn't come back, and and they're saying, "I don't see you, and I'm not sure if I believe you. I'm not sure if I could really put my faith, my trust in you." And so the writer's saying, no, 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 that's not the right posture to have. What you have to do is realize that this life is going to come with all kinds of stuff that gets thrown at you. And you're going to persevere through it, or you're going to collapse under the weight of it because you're not trusting Christ. Same thing goes for us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul said, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Essentially, faith is, says that well, walking by sight is, is, if I see, I believe. Seeing is believing. Faith is believing is seeing. There's a whole different motivation. That's why Jesus always, when he's in the Gospels, and what I pray for here is, he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He's not talking about these. He's talking about spiritual hearing. He who has eyes to see, he's not talking about these. He's talking about spiritual sight. And those are things that come by faith. They come by trusting him. They come by understanding that our lives are rooted in Christ. They're not rooted in this world. So as we look at this, in in chapter 11, verse 8, we're going to go through verses 8 through 16 this morning, the Lord willing. Uh, It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. The first four words here, By faith Abraham obeyed. Essentially saying that Abraham believed God. 
God came to him. He told him. He said, Abraham, I've got a bar of gold for you on the counter in the kitchen. And Abraham said, great, I'm going for it. Uh, just uh, And again, I love that example because it's simply saying my believing God is going to produce activity. It's going to produce action in my life. And that's what God is looking for, faithful people. Again, you will build your life around what you believe, and you will always act on what you believe. If you don't believe that Jesus is, then you your life will show it. Now, in Genesis chapter 12, I want to go, I want to go back into Genesis. I want to read about the account of the call of Abraham. It's really important that we understand what the context is of what the writer's getting at here when, when he says that Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place that he'd receives an inheritance. Uh, in Abraham, or in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 uh, through 5, we're going to read there. Excuse me, it says that the Lord said to Abram, now, before Abraham had an encounter with God, his name was Abram. So uh, when I read it, that's fine, but I'll refer to him as Abraham. So give me that indulgence because I, if it's before and after, and, and it's just easier to say Abraham. You know who I'm talking about. So the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him, and Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abraham took Sarai, his wife, who would become Sarah, uh, and Lot, his brother's son, his nephew, and all their possessions that they had and gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. So at 75, Abraham, he was a trader, uh, not a traitor, but a trader. He was a camel trader. He was he traded livestock and stuff. He, he was a wealthy man. He had it made where he was, and God said, Abram, I want you to go. I've got a land I want to give you. He says, hit the road. Don't worry about where you're going. I'll show you where you're going. And when you get there, I'll let you know that you're there. And that's exactly what Abraham did. So he is, again, believing God. He could have said, well, I believe in God. And we'll look at, in in a minute, we'll look at at, (laughs) at Abraham's character prior to God doing this. Uh, But he acted in faith. He trusted that God was leading him, that God was showing him someplace that he didn't have any idea where it was, and he was just simply given instructions to go. So understand, Abraham, his birthplace is a place called Ur of the Chaldees. It was in Chaldea. That's modern-day Iraq. As a matter of fact, during the Gulf War, Saddam Hussein tried to park jets around a ziggurat, which is a big, tall building, at Ur, because he was hoping the Americans would be stupid enough to bomb them and, and blow up the ziggurat and all that. And then, then he could start a holy war and it was just a weird deal. But so Abraham's birthplace was there. He was way east of the Jordan River. And then he spent a lot of his adult life in a place called Haran. And then uh, he and his family, it's interesting. Most people don't connect Abraham with being a pagan idol worshiper. But before God got a hold of him, that's exactly what he was. Uh, Interesting, if you think about it, aside from the grace of God, how many faithful people are there 
in the Bible. How many faithful people are there on the earth? It's by, by grace we're saved through faith. Um, interesting, in Joshua chapter 24, Joshua, he's getting towards the end of his life. He's giving a farewell speech. He's up uh, in Samaria. Well, it would become Samaria. It wasn't then. A place called Shechem. Uh, you got Mount Gerizim on the left and Mount Ebal on the right. I stood on Mount Gerizim looking across and, and just picturing Israel there in the camps that the tribes, that the whole nations gathered there. And, and in Joshua 24, Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants. So interesting. Abraham was serving other god, lowercase g, gods, on the other side of the river. And then further down in, in Joshua 24 and verse 14 says, Now therefore fear the Lord, serve him sincerely, sincerely and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell, in that very famous verse, Joshua twenty four fifteen. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Verse nine: By faith Abraham dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. So, what do you mean now? The writer here, he he kind of lumps Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob together as living in tents. Now, if you understand the biblical narrative in the Old Testament, you see there's Abraham, 25 years later, comes Isaac, and then Jacob is his son later on after that. And yet, the point that he makes here is he says, look, they dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents together, heirs, with him of the same promise. The word dwelt here, I got a slide for it, it's parochio, it means to dwell in a place which is not one's own country, to sojourn. So they were sojourning in this land of Canaan. That was It was not their country. When he says that they dwelt in tents, they never bought real estate. They never put down roots. They lived as sojourners in that land. I want to say it again. They lived as sojourners. They lived as people who were, they knew that that was not their home. And yet they put down tents. They moved in. They set up housekeeping in this foreign land that God had directed them. I love that. You know, in our economy, what we look at is somebody is living in our land, and say in the United States, and they're not from here. What happens? They get a green card. So what the writer is saying is saying, okay, it's as though Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had green cards. They didn't, that it wasn't their country. It wasn't their home. And yet they came and by faith they lived. Why did they do that? Because God had promised that he would, through Abraham, multiply the nations of the earth, that through his seed, and look at how many millions over the millennia have come to know Christ ultimately being the spiritual seed of Abraham. The book of Galatians, in the book of Galatians, the apostle Paul talks about 
us, the church, being the spiritual seed of Abraham, before the law of Moses, before all of the stuff that went on, he says that through Abraham's faith, and thus us, the nations of the world, would be blessed. And so when he lumps these guys together, what he's doing is he's saying, look, you Hebrew believers in the first century, it's been 30 years or so since Jesus ascended into heaven and said, I'll come back. And you're kind of tripping out about, gee, he hasn't come back yet. Look at these guys. From the time that God made the promise to Abraham to the time that Israel came into the promised land was 500 years. So essentially he's saying, come on, suck it up. Understand that 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 in God's view of things, this is not a big deal. You should be able to endure the things that you're going through here and now because you're living on faith. You're living in faith that God has this and that your life is hidden in Him. Your life is centered and rooted in Him. That's what He's saying to these people and that's what He says to us. Our lives are rooted in Christ. And yes, do we go through hard things? Absolutely. Do we... Does the world beckon to us with allure, with things that, that, that appeal to us? Absolutely. I think about when the Lord called my wife and I here, and I'm certainly not putting myself on any par with Abraham or any of these guys, and yet when the Lord called us here, it's like, you know, I've got a good job, I'm working corporate in Colorado and management, doing all this stuff and had a good salary and all, and, and, and the Lord said, John, I want you to go to Newburgh. And he confirmed it through a bunch of different ways and different people. And, and, and essentially, we had the choice. Were we going to go with the stuff that the world had appealed to us with? I mean, that was that, that was a retirement, man. That was a good deal. And yet, or were we going to step out in faith and say, Lord, we're trusting that what you're doing is you're calling us to something better. You're calling us to something that's fruitful. You're calling us to something that, that we've prayed for. So what the writer's doing with these guys is saying, look, I know it's hard. I know you have tough circumstances. I know that there are things that have gone on in your life that are painful. I know that you're, it's not an easy ride a lot of the time, but you've got to continue holding on to the fact that God has this. You've got to understand that regardless of the circumstances that you're in, that he has a better country. And that's what he's going to appeal to these guys on next. So uh, he's, he's using this. Again, these guys, it had been 30 years, and he's saying, no, no, no. Look at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He lumps them together because it was 500 years. And in that time that Abraham was there uh, in Canaan, he never owned any property. He never put down roots. Well, he did. He owned one piece of property, and that was his tomb because he wasn't willing to go back to the place of his birth to be buried. The point... When you begin with God, your your life never reaches a point where you don't have to trust Him. We all are challenged to trust God in our lives. Abraham trusted God, he believed God, and he, he lived in faith. Ultimately, he died in faith. And so, 
If there are things in your life that you've not laid hold of yet and that you're trusting God for, let's say that you go through your whole life and you never lay hold of those things. Does that mean that you're somehow out of God's will? No. That means that you lived in faith and you died in faith. Verse 10, For he waited for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now, again, in chapter 13, the writer will revisit this when he says in in 13, 14, he says, for here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Essentially, what he's saying is these guys, they were being strangers. Have you ever noticed that when people move here in the United States, that they'll sort of group together? And their customs, their mannerisms, their dress, their culture, you'll see that, I mean, there are entire neighborhoods that are people from other countries. They would stick out because, and it's pretty easy to identify. They're not from here. And what would happen with Abraham and with his group there in Canaan is they stuck out. If they stop sticking out, they're no longer sojourners. Then they're citizens. And what the writer's saying is that, look, to the people in the first century and to us, you are sojourners. You are, this is not your home. Don't get too comfortable living in this world because you're looking for a better country. The same as Abraham did. Abraham, by faith, was living for that which he could not see and that which he would not inherit. And and folks, it's, it's such a great lesson for us, such a great application for us to live for that which we cannot see and, and to trust that God is doing things even behind the scenes, even when it looks really, really bad. And it looked really bad. These people were, many of them were losing their lives. They were, they were ostracized from their community. They were pushed aside. They couldn't work. They, their families turned on them. They went through all kinds of stuff. And what the writer's doing is he's reaching back into the Old Testament saying, look, he's doing it again. What the writer of the Hebrews does is a whole series here of Bible studies. He's essentially saying, look, let's have a Bible study. Let me show you what happened to these guys then and apply it to your life now. Verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. God came to Sarah. He said, Sarah, there's a bar of gold on the counter in the kitchen. And if you read the story, I mean, there in Genesis 18, there's Sarah uh, and Abraham. They're at a place called Mamre. I'm not going to, I had it in the interest of time. I'm not going to read the narrative. But they go to, they're at this place, and, and the angel of the Lord comes. He's talking to Abraham. He says, Abraham, your wife's going to have a baby. And now this is after God had come to Abraham and told him, and Abraham laughed. He said, yeah, right, whatever, I'm, I'm an old guy. Uh, and then Sarah is at the door of the tent. She's eavesdropping on them, and she laughs within herself, it says. And, and the angel of the Lord goes, what are you laughing about? And I'm paraphrasing. And she goes, oh, I wasn't laughing. And she lies about it. Um, so the humanity of these people is not missed on me. I pray it's not for you either. So anyway, God says, look, Sarah, you're going to have a baby. And and she's like, I'm a really old lady. <laughs> I'm not going to have a baby. And, and yet, so she laughs in Genesis 18. I think it's interesting. She laughs. 
which he says essentially, yeah, right, whatever, God. Uh, and yet in Genesis ta- chapter 21, she laughs again, but this time she laughs in faith. And that's when she has the baby, and she names the baby Isaac. You know what Isaac means? Laughter. Uh, tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. So verse 12, therefore from one man and him as good as dead, in other words, really, really old, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. You and I, as I mentioned, are the seed of Abraham that's being referenced there. I think that that's just exciting. I look at that and I think, Lord, all the way back, you knew me by name before the foundations of the earth, and you as well. Uh, Amazing. Verse 13, And these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them by faith, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. When he says that they didn't receive the promises, now Abraham and Sarah did receive the promise of a child. And and yet they didn't ever see the fulfillment of the people coming into the land and, and taking it as their own. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob living in tents? They never saw that. They never saw the fulfillment of literally millions of lives, including yours and mine, if you're a Christian here this morning, being touched through the faithfulness of Abraham. They never saw that, but they were assured. Why? Because they believed God, because they trusted him, because that belief was not just an empty, toss it up in the air belief, but it was a belief that produced action in their lives. And it produced a trust that that overrode the circumstances they were in and allowed them to, to, to simply stay the course through the life that God had given them. Now, one of the things that I've seen and I've noted in my life, yeah, they did receive the promise. They understood that God was faithful when they actually, remember they got out of God's will. They had Abraham with Hagar, his wife's handmaid and all that. And they had this baby named Ishmael. He's the child outside of the promise. God said, wait a minute. No, 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 no. You don't. To me, that's like the original, the origin of religion. It's like, yeah, I'm going to help God. Uh, no. And, and, and so then they have the baby that's born within the promise. They have Isaac and, and God shows them that he is faithful. Very often what God does in our lives is we see his faithfulness on a thing. Whatever it is, you can look and just look back in your own mind, in your own life and look at the faithfulness of God. And he says, now I want you to use that as a down payment on my future faithfulness. I am faithful. God cannot lie. And if he says it, you can bank on it, you can put the weight of your life down on it, and you can trust that he is going to bring it to pass. That's great news. That's fabulous news. So he says here, going on in verse 13, he says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them by faith, and they embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So as we look at that, uh, we see that strangers and pilgrims on the earth, what is he talking about? He's talking about they were sojourners. He's talking about that they were people who understood that this world is not their home. The New Testament is 
There are a number of examples in the New Testament that make the same statement. We are in, but not of the world. And, and there's a lot of preachers that'll try to tie you up in knots about that and a lot of bad teaching on that. I'm not going to go there, you know, and say, well, then you probably shouldn't go to movies and you probably shouldn't do this and you really, you need a whole list and don't you be caught in a poker, you know, all of that stuff. That's not what he's saying. We looked last week at what, remember we looked at, at Cosmos, the, the, and Anon, the ages, when he talked about the worlds before. Cosmos being the world that exists in rebellion towards God. That's what he's talking about. The, James says to, to friendship with the world is hostility towards Christ. It's enmity. That means hostility. And so when the Bible's talking about that and making that distinction, it's not talking about, you know, I don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go out with girls that do, and all that stuff that religion piles on. What it's talking about is living for this wicked world system. We're sojourners. We're aliens. We're green carters on this earth. And if you try to structure your life any other way as a believer, as a Christian you will be woefully disappointed. Actually, to live that way is to lighten the load. To to understand that this is an absolute true reality is to say, you know what? I don't need to be married to the world. I don't need to have... I mean, you know what? I don't worry about what the stock market does. I don't worry about China. I don't worry about stuff. Because I trust that the Lord has it. Does that mean that I ignore the headlines? No, of course not. But what it means is I know where my life is rooted. I know where I'm grounded. I know that I am a child of the king. And that kingdom is not, as Jesus told Pilate, of this realm. It's in a realm that's totally different from the way this world works. If I try to get too comfortable in this world, it will mock my hopes and it will leave me disillusioned. Guaranteed. And yet, we look for a better kingdom, don't we? We look for a better city. Verse 14. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But guess what? It didn't occur to them to return. Remember, the writer is writing to people who were thinking about going backwards. And he's saying, look, go back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They didn't have any interest in going back. That's why Abraham, the only property he bought was for his tomb. It was, no, I'm not going to go home to get buried. I'm going to get buried. This is now my home. Even though I live in a tent and I'm trusting God for his promises, this is it. He's saying it didn't occur to them. It didn't come to mind for them to go back. Um, Faith looks forward. By its very nature, faith, trusting God, always looks forward. It doesn't get caught up in looking back. Yeah, I look at his past faithfulness in my life and use that to understand that I really can trust him now. I can trust him today. And yet, aside from that, faith looks forward. It says, you know what, Lord? I can't see it. I don't understand it. I don't know why this happened. I don't know why these horrible circumstances came my way. Whatever it is, it says, but I'm going to trust you in it. 
That's faith. That's walking it out. That's saying there's a bar of gold on the counter in the kitchen and saying, you know what, I'm going to go for it. Because to sit idly by is really not faith at all. It's it, it's an empty profession. Verse 16, but now they desire a better that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. What a great promise for us. Jesus said, you know what? I have to go. Remember, we looked at that in the Gospel of John when we studied that, those of you who are with us. And he said, I'm going to go. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. And I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you that when I come back, I will receive you to myself. I'm going to take you there. Folks, the heavenly city that we are looking forward to, by comparison, anything we go through in this life and on this earth pales. Absolutely pales. I get excited. My wife and I talk at home. Sometimes we talk about uh, what it's going to be like when we finally get out of this place. And we get to be in, in heaven with him. When we get to shed these bodies and, oh boy, I'm looking forward to that. Gravity is definitely doing things. And when we shed these bodies and we take on that new body and, and that which is corruptible takes on incorruption. And, and we're with our king. I think about that first glance when I look into the eyes of Jesus. I mean, I start to get emotional just thinking about it. When we're there, when, when, when we behold him, not dimly like now, but face to face. That's the city. That's the thing that we live for. That's the hope that we have. And it's all accessed by faith by saying, you know what, Lord? You, you said it. I believe it. That settles it. Romans chapter 8, verse uh, 22 uh, through 25, I'm going to read that. It, it says, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we also ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. That's the point. It's the same thing that the writer's saying in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11. It's not about the visible, tangible world. And I'm not getting into some weird Gnostic thing at all. It's not where we're, where we're going with this. But remember, the people in Judaism their whole thing, the whole point of Judaism was rooted in things that appealed to the senses. And the writer saying, you know, it's not on the basis of that anymore. It's on the basis of faith and on things that you can't see. And you need to be able to let your life down onto these truths in order to persevere through uh, remember, we looked at in chapter uh, 10, verse 36, for you have need of endurance, that after having done the will of God, hang in there, stick it out, press on to wait for what's been promised. And his promises are sure. So I want to look at, as we as we wrap up this morning, I want to look at four things that we could, should consider uh, in living by faith from this passage. The first is get used to obeying without knowing exactly what God is up to. 
Think about it. There are times when sometimes people come to me and they say, you know, Pastor John, what do you think God's will is for my life? Da 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 da. And they'll tell tell me you know, about. And, and, and very often I'll look at them and and yeah, you know, I'm not going to laugh, but I, I'm smiling and I'm thinking. And I'll tell I have you know I have a hard enough time determining what His will is for my life. So when I figured that out, maybe I'll get back to you. But, uh, you know, I don't know. Often we don't know what God is doing. I remember one time doing a study. In the, in the, it was a Sunday night in the book of Romans in a church that we we're at in Northern California. And, and I had said during the study, and I said, you don't know what's going to happen in your life by the time you hit that door. Before the service was over, the phone rang. And I said, tell them I'll call them back. They said, no, now. And I got on the phone and there had been a horrible accident where one of our boys and his family had been crushed and there were four life flights going on. I, and I had just said, I don't know what's going to happen in my life before I hit there. We don't know what's going to happen in our lives before we hit that door. We had no idea. And yet God saw us through that because his word is steadfast, because it's sure, because it's an anchor for us. You don't know what's going on in our lives often. And yet, trust. Get used to obeying uh, <laughs> without knowing what he's up to. Um, secondly, get used to thinking more about the future than about the present or the past. The direction for Christians is always forward. As I mentioned, faith looks forward. In the text, there were always, they were always looking for something ahead. Did you notice that? That just in looking at it, in the passage we're in this morning, it's always looking ahead. It's look ahead, look ahead. Uh, don't get stuck in the past. Keep your eye on God's faithfulness. And this is critical as we get older, as we mature in our relationship with Christ. Keep your eyes on Him. The third is get used to not being in control. Any aspect of control that we think we have in our lives, <laughs> I'll tell you folks, uh, in my 30s I probably would have argued with you. But any aspect of control that we think we have is really an illusion. Things come up. Things happen. Things that, you know, if we're not walking by faith, the things, the, the, the circumstances that come our way have the uh, ability and, and the capacity to totally knock us off our feet. But when we understand going in that we're not in control and that he is, there's comfort in that. Respond in faith. Don't try to orchestrate everything. Uh, I, you know, I spent many, many years being sort of a perfectionist. And then I realized that that was an aspect of pride. And I was thinking that I was the only one that knew how to do it right. And everybody else, after all, needed to march to my orders. And, and the Lord really convicted me about that at one point because I had a need to try to control things. I had a lousy childhood and, and, and it was this sort of the thought that, you know, as I grew into a, a young man, it's like, I can control this and I'm going to make sure that nothing's lousy. And, and it was like, you, you ever see the thing where, uh, like on television, like the guy takes, a, there's a, he has a whole bunch of sticks and he'll spin a plate on the stick. And then he'll spin a second one. And then he'll spin a third one. And pretty soon he's got like six or seven of these things spinning. By the time he does that, this one over here is starting to wobble a lot. And so now he's going back. He's trying to, all he's doing is maintaining at that point. Folks, if that's you, 
let the plates go. Allow God to give you rest and peace without having to try to figure it all out, without trying to think you got control over it, because very often in our lives we don't. We truly don't know what's going to happen by the time we hit that door. The last is get used to taking God's word for things. You might think, well, these men that we're looking at are giants of the faith. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. No, if you look at their lives, I was talking to, in our men's group on Wednesday night, we were talking about Abraham and those guys uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I said, you know what? They were among, we would title them very dysfunctional. Abraham's family, Isaac and Jacob, I, oh my goodness, Jacob's mom, Isaac's wife, Rebecca, I mean, they were really, they had their problems, like every family does. <laughs> you know, when we see that these were regular people, that they had problems. You see lapses of faith with Abraham. He God told him to go, and he took his time. He had a stop. He stayed for a long time at Haran. You know, and, and, and you see Sarah, she's laughing. You're going to be pregnant. You see Abraham laugh. Oh, yeah, sure, whatever, God, you know. And and, and you see Isaac and, and his family, Jacob. Oh, my goodness, we could go the rest of the afternoon on him. These were regular people. So don't fall into the trap of thinking that these are big pillars of faith. No, they were people that had to make the choice to walk by faith just as much as you and I do. And they did. That's why we read about it. It's not because they had it all wired and they had it all together. You can have this kind of faith. That's the point. Uh, and you know what? Truth be told, we all have moments of faithlessness, don't we? We all have moments where we waver and we think, oh, I don't think God's going to pull this off. And then, you know, whatever activity that produces. And yet, God is still God. He's still on the throne. He wants to control the purposes. His, he wants to allow his purposes to be worked out in our lives. And, and as we do that, as we let go of thinking that we got to control this thing, that that, and we simply begin to walk by faith in a, in a deeper way, perhaps, and say, you know what? He has this. Peace is the result. Joy is the result. A life that is lived not for this world, but for the kingdom to come. The point in all of it is embracing our homelessness as a disciple is to embrace freedom. If you don't burden yourself with all the worldly expectations and trying to make this place your home, the disappointments that come won't be so heavy. You'll be able to lay aside the weight of the cynicism that comes. Essentially, there's a, there's a gold bar in the kitchen. <laughs> and you're either going to pick it up or you're not. And, and, and just, and, and I use that metaphorically. There's a, a living Lord who truly cares, who went to a cross, who took your sin, who rose from the dead because death couldn't hold him, sinless as he was, wearing the sins of the world, and that he ascended to make intercession for us to come before the Father on our behalves. That's great news. It's about trusting in what he says. It's about walking it out. 
knowing that we have a better city whose builder and maker is God. Let's pray. Father, wow, what a brief look at these passages, at these verses. And yet, Lord, I pray for myself. I pray for uh, each one.